Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Off the Chain Podcast. I am Kenny Blaze, along with my co-host, Bald Mike. Bald Mike. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Um, this is the Friday after. We are recovering from eating our bunches of foods. Um, I know I had a great day. Um, a lot to be thankful for this year, including our favorite new game, uh, Keyforge. Yep, and we actually got in a couple of games last night. I stopped over after fighting off the turkey coma a little bit longer to get in a few quick games. Yeah, they were good games. So, um, this is Keyforge. This is a unique deck game by uh, by Fantasy Flight. Um, I've been playing games, board games, card games, since I was about five or six years old. Mike, how about you? Uh, I probably started in my mid-twenties. I'm 45 now, so going on 20 years. Man, you old. I'm the old man of the group. All right, well, uh, this is a unique game. Uh, so, every deck you buy at the store is unique to you. Um, there will be no duplicates uh, through the algorithm. Uh, there'll be some similar decks for sure, but no two decks will ever be the same. Uh, this is completely mind-blowing in the realm of card gaming in general. Um, on top of not being able to deck build, uh, the backs of your decks are all different. Um, they have a little picture of a guy, your Archon. They are also unique to you, um, never to be duplicated. What do you feel about this like new system we have for gaming? It's mind-boggling to say the least. Um, the number of possible decks is ridiculous. Um, so it, I love the, the non-deck building part of it because we, I've played many games with you over the years and deck building seems to be a, a, something I struggled with. So I really love that, that aspect of Keyforge, not having to worry about building the deck. Sure. What I also like about the design of Keyforge, and this kind of goes hand in hand with something Richard Garfield has said, is the internet hive mind or the net decking or, or the the meta, as it were. There is no meta in Keyforge. It is, you know, your deck is what it is, uh, and nothing else will ever be exactly that. No one can copy your deck and go run out to a local tournament and just stomp with your ideas. That's kind of cool. Something I have noticed, however, um, just in the week since the game has been out, is there's this perceived meta specifically around the Four Horsemen. For those... For those who don't know, the Four Horsemen are special cards, at least three of them. Um, they come in the Sanctum House. Uh, the Horseman of Pestilence is the rare. It will pull the other three Horsemen with it. Uh, the Horseman of Death, Horseman of Famine, Horseman of War. Those become linked cards that always show up together. They are good creatures. They are not game-breakingly powerful by themselves. You need the rest of your 32 cards to show up to help you win the game. But we've seen time and time again on eBay, especially the prices of decks people are selling, they're unplayed, they're untested, they're still sealed. Hundreds, uh, one double horseman deck went for $2,000. Uh, what you got on this? It's insanity. In a game where every deck is unique, just because the same couple of cards show up in a deck shouldn't make it crazy. Mm -hmm. Admittedly on paper, the horseman seems strong. I haven't had a chance, I haven't actually seen one in person yet or played against it yet. I look forward to that hopefully sometime soon. Mm -hmm. But the single horseman decks definitely seem beatable. I can see where a double horseman deck could be a little bit of a struggle, but I think those are so rare to find sure. that it's not going to be an issue. And I, I agree. I, it, I think our hive mentality as gamers is, oh, it's a card game, there has to be a meta. So I think that's how this horseman thing is blowing up. Sure. I mean, coming from the other games, people like to see trends, the things that are popular, the things that do well. The horsemen by themselves, like they're not bad, but they're also not great. 
like you need to be able to pilot, make the correct sequencing decisions, win the game, reap. Right. Uh, the they're, one, not, they're not game winners on their own. Right. I mean, they will help you control the board eventually, especially in a double horseman deck. I can understand a hype around a double horseman deck. I'll never understand $2,100. I'm with you. Um, even if he goes on to win worlds, he maybe designs a, designs a card. Uh, he hasn't recouped $2,100. Um, but hey, if you got the money, I say, uh, yeah, I mean, go for it. Hopefully, I'll pull a double horseman deck and retire. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my retirement plan or my kid's college fund. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, so, I mean, that's basic initial observations we've seen. What do you got? The only thing I wanted to maybe bounce the idea off you about the perceived meta or possibly meta in this is, do you think we'll ever get to a point where we see a certain combination of houses doing really well at, say, store champs coming up, regionals, and, and that such. And maybe not a, a set pattern of all three, but maybe uh, two of the houses that show up in every winning deck, or at least a lot of decks that are winning. So the houses seem really balanced to me. Um, I'm obviously biased towards the play styles that I like. To answer your question, I think Shadows is going to make an appearance in most of the top tier decks. Being able to control your opponent's Amber Pool is huge, as the only way to win, aside from the crazy lockout, is uh, to forge three keys. Uh, and even then, even if you lock your opponent out with Restrignatus, you have to still forge your three keys. Granted, they can't do anything to stop you, but Shadow seems like a great way uh, to control their pool. Uh, as far as like a second, a second house that I would see, Untamed is really strong, like... Um, hunting, which being able to produce a bunch of amber for your own side, uh, it's explosive. Right. I mean, you can get 10, 12 amber a turn with um, the card that bounces all of your guys back to hand. Regrowth. No, that's from Discard Pile. There's one that bounces th uh, three gentlemen from the board back okay. to hand replay. Okay. Um, it gets kind of nuts. Maybe somebody out there listening will remind us what that card is. Possibly. I don't have it right here in front of me. I apologize for that. What two houses do you think you would see? I think Logos should pop up because they seem to be a support house, which is something we'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, uh, and I agree with Shadows, definitely. Right. Just a quick aside. Uh, this is our very first show. I'm trying to set this studio space up uh, in the front room of my house, and uh, we are aware that there is some echoing issues um, with this initial stream. Uh, apologies for that. Hopefully, by the next episode we have in a couple of weeks, I'll be able to cut that down. So... Apologies for that. Hopefully it won't be unbearable to listen to. In the last week since the game came out, uh, how many games of Keyforge do you think you got in? Uh, so last week, uh, you've been my only opponent in the past week. Uh, you were at my house actually Sunday for Survivor Series, and in between matches we were playing some games. Mm -hmm. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I stopped by last night after uh, the turkey coma, and we got in some games. We did. We actually got in a game earlier today, too. And we just finished a game just before uh, recording this, actually. Um, I've been playing almost every day since since last Thursday. I want to say I've probably hit 50-ish games. Um, we did a release tournament. Um, everyone showed up. You got a sealed deck, and then you played a three-round tournament. Uh, if you went 3-0, they gave you a set of the metal keys that yeah. FFG had put out. Um, they're pretty sweet keys. Um, I played in both events that our local store did on Friday night, and I ended up going 3-0 in both events. Nice. Um, but I think that's just more due to I've played so many more games of Keyforge versus some people coming in. This is maybe their first or second time ever seeing the game. Um, that being said, having played all these games, I have not burned out at all. Um, every time I sit down, if I'm feeling bored 
or played out on any particular deck that I have. I just reach in the bag and pull out one I haven't played as much, and it's fresh and brand new all over again. Yeah, you've been going a little crazy buying decks, too. Eh, well, a little more than me. I think I'm at seven decks right now. I want to say I'm up to 17 or 18, but again, some of these are from prizes, so right. uh, I haven't spent all that much money yet. But seeing as the decks have been coming out, uh, there have been some crazy names. Um, FFG had put out a post that 0.02%, I believe, of the decks out there have a combination of words that would make their name bad boy names or names that, that they don't want. Yeah, up. we've seen a few examples with racism in the name mm -hmm. uh, that, that have been flagged. So it seems as like uh, the racism and the fascism names, um, for the most part, if they're any, in any way promoting... Um, racism or fascism they get banned they're not allowed to be played if you contact ffg support they're supposed to send you two decks but i think i saw one go go on ebay for i think 70 bucks we did see that double horseman deck sell for 2100 yeah that was in europe i believe it was in europe but i don't know man, oh man. 2100 dollars is a lot of money um I'll especially when you spend it. 10 that's a crazy right. return on a purchase um, something I'll never be able to afford. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. All right, you want to move into the uh, the FAQs that came out this week? Yeah, let's talk about that. That dropped on the 16th. Uh, the big thing that I think most people were concerned about on that was the the Mars card, the biometrics backup. Uh, you've played that more than I have. I don't believe that's in the one Mars deck I have, so why don't you talk a little bit about that, Kenny? All right, uh, biometrics backup is an upgrade. Um, it generates one amber when you play it. Uh, plays on a creature. says this creature gains... Uh, and then the keyword destroy, um, you may place this creature into your archives. FAQ has gone on to say that the word may is a choice, and per the rules of the game, um, only the active player may make a choice on any given turn. Um, so with Biomatrix Backup, if I play it on my Mars creature, or any creature, and then it becomes my opponent's turn and he destroys that creature, my opponent will get to choose uh, whether the Biomatrix backup ability triggers and if he elects to have it trigger it will still enter my archive and then same wise if it's my turn i'll get to pick if he enters my archives and some of you might be saying well why would you ever not want to have a creature enter your archives um, and the interesting interaction lies within the mars house itself uh, there's a mars creature he has a crazy mars name but he's the zookeeper yep. and uh, on his fight reap action after he reaps, he can take an opponent's creature and place it into his own archive. So I can take my opponent's creature and place it into my archives. And if I've done this three or four times, I have a, a little supply of their creatures um, in my archives. I might not want to back up my creature because if I ever want him back, I have to now give you your friends back. And likewise, if my opponent kills my creature with a biomatrix backup and he puts it into my archives, force me to give him his guys back if I wanted my guy back. Whereas I might just let my Mars creature die, but still get the amber generation from the card. I hear that's pretty important in this game. One of the other cards that came up in the FAQ was the uh, Restrignatus interaction with Pitlord. Pitlord is a discard. It says, while Pitlord is active, you must choose Dis as your active house. Uh, Restrignatus uh, when you play him, you call a house. Your opponent cannot choose that house for their active house. Um, if these two ever meet and your opponent calls a dis with Restrignatus, you're not allowed to pick them, but you can only pick them. The rule now says you have to pick no house, and you're only allowed to use Omni abilities of cards in play. So at that point, it kind of becomes GG. Let's go on to the next game, because there is a format, and this where it'll be best two of three. So we are 
attempting a different configuration in the house. We had some technical difficulties in the live stream. I'm just going to continue this as a uh, podcast recording, and we'll have it out. We'll call it Growing um, Pains. Yeah, Growing Pains are good. Um, so the next thing we wanted to talk about was the two-minute deck list um, review in what their constructed format is, or um, the closest equivalency we have to a constructed, which is bring your own deck, right. and it's called Archon, just the Archon format. So at the start of a game, every round, you are able to look at your opponent's deck list, the checklist on the back of their Archon, uh, and review what's in their deck. Um, and this is specifically important when looking for some key interactions. Mike, what are some big interactions that you want to look for? Um, well, obviously, it's house-dependent. Uh, sure. We just, like you said, we just played the game literally minutes before we mm-hmm. came on to this to, to record this. Yep. And your houses in the deck you played are Shadows, Sanctum, and Untamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so looking over right away, my eyes go to Bait and Switch. Sure. Um, every, so everybody knows about that. There's been a big discussion on the Facebook group about that. What has been the discussion? Just some really big swings with it. Okay. Uh, as far as Amberpool goes. Uh, for those who don't know, Bait and Switch is an action uh, in House Shadows. Uh, you play it, you steal one Amber from your opponent. Uh, if your opponent still has more Amber than you, steal another one. Uh, you repeat this effect as long as they have more Amber than you. So if you they have 10 and you have 0, you Bait and Switch, uh, you equalize, you both go to 5. Uh, yeah, knowing that bait and switch is in a deck is huge. Um, I agree. Right. Uh, another one I look for is Miasma, because Miasma is an action that says your opponent skips their next forge a key step. Yeah, that's pretty rough. And would you know, that that's pretty important in this game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is what that is how you win this game, <laughs> is forging them keys. Um, the other thing I look for, or that I noticed in your deck, uh, being on Tamed, is you had Hunting Witch with about 15 creatures. Yeah. So that can swing you some ember pretty quick too it definitely gives you some burst some burst amber which is what you're looking for for your deck uh you were in dis and shadows i believe also logos correct um you had a board wipe uh with key to dis and two ember imps so when i see the ember imps in pretty much any list um, i want to see if there's a way i can purge them and get them out of the game i can't have them recycling luckily your deck didn't have a rise it's another big card you kind of want to look for um, out of House of Dis. Uh, in Shadows, you had a Miasma, um, just one, so it wasn't so bad. You had a Sting, um, which is an interesting artifact. Um, while it's in play, you can't forge keys. But every time your opponent forges a key, you get all of that amber. All the amber. Um, I, I, worth, ugh, I made a note of it because with the Sting down, and if I have Bait and Switch, I can forge a key, I give you all my amber. Then if I have my bait and switch ready on my next turn, because you have the sting, you can't forge. I bait and switch and pull at least half of the amber I just gave you back, plus hopefully what half of whatever is whatever in your pool. The other card you had that I was interested in was Carlo Phantom. Uh, he's a guy, he's elusive and has skirmish. And his text is whenever you play an artifact, you can steal an amber from your opponent. And then I went through and just did a quick count of the artifacts in your deck. And you were at six. So that's a number that that's is... The key. I mean, Carlo with six artifacts, that's potential six amber steel. If you only had one artifact in your deck, I'm not going to care if Carlo's on the field. With six, he's someone I need to get rid of. Because right. I don't want to lose a potential of six amber. And so the two-minute review, what'd you feel about it? Like coming into a game knowing what's in my deck. It's another of the unique aspects of Keyforge. Sure. Um, 
it, it's really interesting because it gives you that two minutes that you don't get in any other game. Say, hey, this is what you got. Okay, now I know what's in my deck. Now I know what's in yours. Sure. I know what to watch for. I know what to look for. I know I can kind of get an idea if you're trying to set up to something mm -hmm. uh, else that you have in the deck that I, you haven't played yet, maybe. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that this helps address is in most games there's a scouting component where in round one, no one really knows what you're playing. But by the end of the tournament, the people at the top tables have had their decks scouted and people are telling their friends what someone's playing. Right. Uh, this levels that playing field. So at least in the Archon format, uh, you get to know everything up front. But it's still on you to figure out what's important in those two minutes. Uh, you will not have the opportunity to reference that checklist in the middle of the match. Yeah. You also cannot keep notes in FFG games per their tournament rules. So you can't jot anything down. So you got to remember, you got to have a good knowledge of the card pool. Because um, you're only going to get to look at this checklist. They're not going to hand you their deck so you can yeah. look at the cards. Um, I mean, I guess they could if they wanted to, but they don't have to. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, it's also worth noting that in a sealed format, there is no two-minute check. Your deck is secret for everyone. They can't ask to see what's in there, which is a neat way to play a sealed format. Definitely. Definitely makes so sense. Cool. So going into our game, um, we did play a game before we started the recording here today. It was uh, the two decks we were talking about uh, in this two-minute review. Um, I'd say it lasted about eight or nine turns. Did it go that many? I think, I think it went about... I have here uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... Seven rounds on my paper. Right. Um, that's a little bit longer than the games I've been playing with it. Uh, my deck has typically been winning at around turn five or six. Wow. Um, it has 23 amber on cards. Um, if that's you, a lot. It is a lot. If you figure you only need 18 amber to win the game base. I mean, I could do nothing but puke these cards down and have enough to win the game. It has a mix of shadows in there so I can steal a good number of amber yeah. also to supplement this and you just keep pounding it in like amber for days uh, your opponent's got to be able to react and if they can't you just forge too quick and because the game is a race I don't mind if you're sitting on 12 at some point if I'm up two keys to one and with the amber that this deck can generate go ahead and forge your key it's not going to bother me I'm going to get to that third key first um, which is really the name of the game. Right. It's not about the creature control. It's not about wacky effects. It's how fast can you make these keys. Yeah, and I think uh, we talked about this last night in one of our games. Um, the hang-up from almost every other card game out there is, oh my god, my opponent has this huge board. I've got to destroy it or else. Yeah. But no, Keyforge is different. It's like, okay, you've got a huge huge line of creatures out there. That necessarily isn't going to win you the game. No, typically not. Um, now, if you have a bunch of creatures and they have nobody... Um, feel free to reap for days. Right. You want to hopefully and that will see win them. The game. Yes, that will win you the game. Hopefully, you want to see them within like one or two houses. If you have ten creatures spread out amongst your three houses, uh, you typically won't be able to activate enough of them to cause the threat. But if I have five guys and you got six guys, and my five guys are from one house, I'm just gonna reap and I'm just gonna forge these keys. Right. Um, I typically won't swing in unless there's a secondary benefit. Uh, fight with the steel effect. I can maybe purge someone who's right. troublesome. Um, yeah, that's something I've had to definitely adjust to, I've noticed. It is one of the unique things about Keyforge. Yeah. Uh, I think as the game progresses, more and more people will realize uh, it's not really a beatdown game. It is right. just a race. Um, it's a fun race. Definitely fun But race. But it is, it is at its core a race. 
uh, in the game that we played. Uh, I guess we might as well jump into the next section we want to talk about, which is the house spotlight. Yeah, so, this is going to be our first house spotlight. Hopefully every episode we'll hit a house or two and discuss our feelings on the house. Right. So, uh, so for these, this house spotlight, we chose to play the decks that correlated to the houses we were going to talk about. Yep. Uh, specifically the house uh, section, the 12 cards we got in these decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the design of the game, it's not really prudent to talk about all of the combinations you can see because you won't see them all. Right. Um, your deck is, like we said, is going to be unique. So these are the ones we played. Hopefully you see some of the same combinations and you find and discover some of your own. Um, but here, what do you got? All right. First off, I just tell everybody that they can view the decks that we played today. They are posted on all of our social media outlets. They're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've been po- I posted pictures the last uh, couple days of the two decks that we played today. Uh, so you can all go take a look at those lists. Uh, so for my deck, or my house spotlight for this week, uh, in, um, in that deck that I played today is Logos. Uh, I really like Logos. They're really, in my view anyway, they seem to be the support house okay. of, of all the houses that are available. What do, you, what do you think of the Logos? Well, I was just wondering what makes you say that they're a support house. What gives them that support feel? Uh, all, they do a lot with card draw, reap to draw cards, some okay. fight to draw a card. Uh, a couple, what is the bat drone is steel when he fights. Sure. Um, and also, they they seem to be the most archive house. I agree. What I, from I, what I've seen. I believe that they do archive the most out of any of the houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and archiving is a unique mechanic in this it game. Is. It's like a temporary out of play zone. Right. Um, your archive zone, you know, if somebody gets archived or a card gets archived, at the start of your turn, after you call a house, you may take all of the cards in your archive and put them in their owner's hands. Um, specifically important to the biomatrix backup we had talked about right. earlier. Um, but yeah, like being able to archive and swing out with like eight or nine cards on a future turn is huge. Yeah, you can go all of a sudden from only having six cards in hand, hand to having you know, 10, 12 cards if you set it up long enough with the archive abilities. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, there's that one Sanctum card. It's a quest. It lets them, if you play seven or more cards in a turn, you yep. just instantly forge a cage for free. It uh, really good. relies on a lot of reap. I'm not reap, um, archive, archive mechanics to be able to get that up and running. Right. Uh, the other thing, uh, in this particular deck that I have, my favorite combination that I found, and I pulled this off against you a few times, is library access. Sure. And there's three copies of Wild Wormhole in this deck. Wild Wormhole's nuts. It's a great card, especially comboed with the library access. It's yeah. card draw for days. And I, know, I remember we played one game at our local store where mm-hmm. I hit the library access triple wormhole combo on you. Yep. You used, uh, I believe, Screaming Cave from Dis on the next turn, shuffled it all back, and drew into the combo again. Yeah, it was uh, definitely made me want to slap you across the table. <laughs> I did not enjoy that game all that much. Yeah, I think the first time I hit was turn one or two, so it was pretty early. I was drawing a ton of cards and sure. getting a bunch of Ember from those cards. Yeah, and like if you're getting out of the gate fast, it, it's kind of tough sometimes... Um, slow roll that board, regain composure, and then bring the game back around to your right. side. So, you know, I mean, three wild wormholes is pretty nuts. Yeah, it, it's fun. I'm, I've been enjoying playing. It's the deck I've played the most of the seven decks that I have. Um, it's actually one my son Ethan opened, and he beat me with it a number of times at home. Yeah, I mean, I would say out of the few decks I played against you with, this is clearly your strongest deck. It had the most swing potential. Yeah. Um, and it really seemed to hold its own in in most of the games it played against. I mean, it won a fair number of them. Yeah. I, this last game we played just before we came on air wasn't so good. I don't think I forged a key that game. I was sitting on a ton of Ember, but you were 
making me skip my turns, and I did. I played Sting, so I kind of locked myself out from forging at one. Yeah, Sting can be rough. You definitely yeah, did hold out. yourself off from one potential key. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the best time to play Sting. Uh, right before I forge, you want to draw Sting. To do sure. That game. And, it, and it, it worked. I got you a did. bunch of ever from you off of it. Uh, I believe, though, the next turn you didn't go back into Shadows to get rid right. of Sting, which. Right. Or have some other way to remove it, because it, it does need to go, so you right. can get that key forge, especially having seen my list ahead of time and knowing that a bait and switch um, out there. was out there and had been shuffled back. Um, I had used Nexlus, the creature that let me use your artifact to use uh, your you streaming two, you cave. You two of those on the board, I believe. I did. There's actually three in the deck. Okay. Um, and I was using your cave and your Lash of Broken Dreams to, to keep your key too high yeah. while keep cycling back uh, these shadow cards. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about in your logo side? Uh, not in this particular logos combo. Um, those, like I said, those are my couple of my favorite cards. Uh, it's the wild wormhole library access combo. Sure. Um, but yeah. What about you? What what house did you pick for your favorite? So I went shadows. Um, and with the deck I played, uh, like I said, it generates a ton of amber. It does. Um, what's interesting about the shadow side from this deck is every card is listed as a common, so you should see these cards fairly often. Um, like I said, every card of the 12 is just of the common rarity, mm-hmm. uh, which to me was very interesting that uh, all of the cards of one house are commons. Like, is it still good? Are rares powerful? I mean, we don't have mythics or ultra rares in this game, but does the rarity equate to power level? Um, and I don't think it does. No, not in Keyforge. It doesn't seem to. Not as much. Definitely not as much in other games. Definitely not as much as in other games. I feel like the rare cards in here are very situational, mm-hmm. where the common yeah. cards are more blanket. Right. So having 12 common shadow cards seems good once you see what they do. Uh, so it's got a bait and switch, which we talked about. It's crazy for swing amber yep. generation. Uh, three ghostly hands. Generates two amber apiece. Uh, if your opponent has exactly one, you steal it, which is, which is great. I mean, those, those three cards alone are enough to forge a key and potentially steal from my opponent. It's, it's crazy. Uh, one Miasma for key control. Uh, two Nerve Blast. Uh, it's an action. You steal an Amber from your opponent, and if you do, deal two damage to a creature. Um, three Nexus creatures. Uh, Reap. You can use your opponent's artifact as your own. It's really efficient and effective in our game as I was yep. able to constantly use the Lash against lash you turn after cave. turn. You use my cave a couple times. And the cave, right? The Screaming Cave to sh- just constantly recycle my hand to keep drawing into fresh shadow cards so I could just call shadows every turn and still maybe squeak a card or two down without changing houses. Um, It has a Silvertooth who enters play ready, a two-power creature, and one Umbra who has uh, Elusive and has... Maybe not Elusive, I think he has Skirmish, and he fights. When he fights, he will steal one Amber. And the computer is being sad. He does have Skirmish. uh, so He takes no damage when he fights, and his fight effect is to steal one also. Provided. Seems pretty good. Yeah. Seems all right. Like, just within the shadow set alone, um, there's one, two, three, six, seven. Seven of the 12 generate amber on their own. Two more steal amber. Yeah. So there's just a ton of amber stuff going on in here. Uh, and it helps that the rest of the deck has a bunch of amber also to just yeah. burst out of that gate. Right. It was a good game. Yeah. Um, there was ways to hold you off, which helped. Right. Um, but you have lasted longer than some of the other games I've had with it. Yeah, so. like I said, I don't think I forged a key, but a lot of time there were a couple of rounds where I was double-digit Ember. Yeah. 
No, yeah, I mean, you were definitely were sitting at, you know, 11, 12 amber right. a couple turns in a row just because you couldn't, couldn't forge that key. Yeah. Any other impressions, things you want to mention, stuff to talk about on our, our very first episode here of Off the Chain? I think we hit everything that we talked about. Um, just enjoying playing the game. Got to get down to the store a little more and play with the rest of the crew. Right. See what else, see what everybody else is running out there. There are uh, so many decks floating around here. Um, in the events we had for launch, we had 24 people in the first tournament. I believe we had 17 in the second. Uh, there was 10 people there for the Archon tournament this past Tuesday. Yeah. I was there for the pre-release weekend. I, uh, right. Ethan and I went Saturday and Sunday. I, I think I just missed you on Saturday. I just left. I believe so. And I think both days there was like 12 people when I was there, and yeah. not all the same people? No, uh, new people. New people to FFG games. Yeah. Um, some new people just coming over from Magic. Uh, it's been good. Yeah, I mean, it's such an easy game to get into. Like we were just talking a minute ago is $10 for a deck, and you're pretty much all in. At, at worst, the other thing you have to buy is something to use for tokens. Correct. Uh, I mean, I think just being able to come in at $10, uh, you can use... Any generic counters, any tokens from other games just to represent your amber, your damage, uh, maybe something for stun. The, now, that's not saying the core set's bad. The core set's fine. You get the cardboard, you get the chain trackers, uh, you get two random decks, but then two fixed decks that everyone gets. Um, but if you're just looking to get in and try the game, it's a quick, easy 10 bucks. I, I guarantee you won't regret it. Um, Definitely not. This has got to be uh, one of my favorite games I've played. Uh, easily in the last decade, maybe of all the card games I've ever played, it's just so different. Yeah, not only that, it's different and still really fun. It is really fun, and it's a broad player base. It seems to be growing too. I mean, when I was at the pre the uh, pre release weekend party, my son's thirteen. He's there playing with us. There's even kids there uh, younger. On Saturday, there's a kid he couldn't have been more than six or seven. Mm-hmm. and he was playing with his dad and he was kind of watching my game and he's like oh and he's calling off cards in my hand and going oh yeah if you do that I know what that card does right you know and that was great and then when we went back on Sunday our friend Brendan was there with his son who I believe is eight or nine and he was playing and doing yeah. very well too so that's a great thing yeah I mean the, the entry barrier for rules is not very high um, my daughter's played card games I know Leia's gonna want to try this one she likes some of the art on the Mars guys yeah um, but it's definitely something that's teachable I mean she has played Netrunner in the past, and that wow. is... That is... That's way more complex. Uh, that is a rule set you just have a hard time teaching to just about anyone. Yeah. Um, but Keyforge is so great. It's so simple to learn. Uh, somewhat difficult to master, because it is different. Uh, but it is extremely fun. Definitely. And that's the other thing, too. Um, as we said, each deck is unique, as everybody knows. And I've yet to see a deck come out of a box and say, well, this is complete trash. I'm throwing it away. I'm never playing it again. Yeah, I agree. Um, every deck is built procedurally with the algorithm, uh, but it does seem like there is something that the decks are trying to do. Right. Um, some of them might be a little harder to see or a little bit harder to pull off, but I agree. I don't think I've opened a deck yet where I'm like, this is just the hottest pile of garbage. Yeah. I, I'll never sleeve it and slam it down. There might be a couple combos in a deck that maybe aren't maximized. I think one of my decks that is untamed that it's one nipple ape and one nipple queen where sure. I, I would have been happier if there was more of the nipple apes oh absolutely um, but that's it but like I said, and even then that deck is far from unplayable right yeah I mean there's going to be some suboptimal uh, lines you're going to see right. it just makes you happy when you see you know three apes and two queens like you're like oh definitely. man this yeah. is going to be unstoppable definitely um, but yeah you can at least get a feel for some of the combos that they're trying to go for well I guess that's going to about wrap up our first show today, 
So these are the things I'm going to say at the end of the show. You can email us at offthechainpodcast at gmail. You can follow us on social media, Twitch, Off The Chain Podcast, on Facebook at Off The Chain, A Key Forge Podcast, Instagram, Off The Chain Podcast, and Twitter, Off The Chain Show. As always, I'm Kenny Blaze, along with Bald Mike. Hit him with that catchphrase. Keep forging. Have a good night, everyone. Take care.